It's Wednesday the 20th of November and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn face off in a televised debate. Are you going to campaign for Leave or Remain? I want to bring people together, therefore there will be a referendum in which that decision will be made by the British people and our government will abide by that decision. We'll have full analysis from our Westminster watcher, Paul Osborne. Plus, what the rise of Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden tells us about how Americans define progressive politics. And our Tokyo Bureau examines a new index spotlighting the world's power cities. I'm Ben Rylan in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Last night's televised debate between the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn was always bound to be a contentious meeting of political rivals. Monocle's Paul Osborne tuned in and filed this report. Pre-election debates are still something of a novelty in the UK. The first was only nine years ago, so this was a pretty big deal. We're live in Salford for a TV first. It's Boris Johnson versus Jeremy Corbyn the ITV debate. No prizes for guessing the first topic, Brexit. Boris Johnson parroting the phrase get Brexit done, saying his oven-ready deal could be voted through within weeks, and challenging Jeremy Corbyn to finally say whether he backs leaving the EU or remaining a member. Are you going to campaign for leave or remain? I want to bring people together, therefore there will be a referendum in which that decision will be made by the British people and our government will abide by that decision. The audience laughed when Mr Corbyn said Labour's position on Brexit was clear. Mr Johnson says it's anything but. Mr Corbyn is trying to conceal the void at the heart of his Brexit policy and refusing to answer the question of which side, which side he would... The audience laughed at Boris Johnson too when he said that truth matters. It seemed few people believed him. Jeremy Corbyn was happiest when the debate shifted to the National Health Service, where Labour claims the Conservatives have a secret post-Brexit plan to sell off the healthcare system to giant American corporations. Full market access for US products to our National Health Service. You're going to sell our National Health Service out to the United States and Big Pharma. This is... This is an absolute, this is an absolute invention. It is completely untrue. There are no circumstances, whatever, in which this government or any Conservative government will put the NHS on the table in any trade negotiation. In a rushed, frantic hour of debating, both men relied on their favourite sound bites and offered little of substance that was new. And to a country weary of politics, dragged into a Christmas election against their will, perhaps this audience member's question was the highlight. This whole nation will have watched you both throughout this campaign in utter despair. At the heart of all of this is one very simple question. How can we trust you? Both men did promise to do better, but as Mr Johnson made that pledge, the Conservative Party's press office was rebranding its Twitter account as Fact Check UK, releasing a stream of anti-Labour talking points under the guise of impartial analysis. Full Fact, which is a genuine fact-checking site, called it inappropriate and misleading. In any debate, there's always the unexpected question, the zinger, and in the week when Prince Andrew gave a disastrous television interview, it was obvious. Is the monarchy fit for purpose? 
Jeremy Corbyn. Needs a bit of improvement. <laughs> Mr Johnson. The institution of the monarchy is beyond reproach. And given how close we are to Christmas, what would the rival leaders leave each other under the tree? Well, I know Mr Johnson likes a good read. So what I would probably leave under the tree for him would be a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. Oh. And, he could... <laughs> and he can then understand how nasty Scrooge was. Thank you. Some damson jack. Lovely. Some damson damson jack. OK, Some damson gentlemen, jack. thank you very much indeed for that. Jeremy Corbyn had a lighter touch in these off-the-cuff moments and perhaps just edged it on the night. But he didn't produce any kind of game-changer, and so Boris Johnson probably left the studio happy as well. The Conservative Party is comfortably ahead in the polls, and this debate probably hasn't changed that. Of course, there are many more televised encounters to come in the three weeks before polling day. The public may not have wanted this election, but they're not going to be able to avoid it either. For Monocle in London, I'm Paul Osborne. As we heard in yesterday's programme, US presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg is surging ahead of his Democratic Party rivals in the state of Iowa. It's almost certainly too early in the race for the poll result to carry any substantial indication of things to come. But it does call into question which issues American voters define as progressive causes particularly when it comes to what many see as one of the top issues heading into this election, healthcare. Dr Geoffrey Howard is from the Department of Political Science at University College London. I have a plan that shows how we can have Medicare for all without raising taxes one cent on middle-class families. It guarantees, like every other major country on earth, health care to every man, woman and child in this country. Surely it's not radical, surely it's not extremist to advocate for a, a system of universal health care. And of course what's striking is that the Democratic Party generally is unified in the goal of getting everyone covered under health, universal health insurance. The divergences are about the means, how you, how you get there. Um, so Pete Buttigieg has a 37-year-old mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who's now leading the polls in Iowa, believe it or not, again, ahead of Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Um, his system isn't, is, isn't Medicare for for all, but Medicare for all who want it. And so the idea is you can keep your plan, but you can also have a, have a public option where you can go on government health insurance instead, which is, in fact, what Barack Obama had tried to do. And yet he's cast as moderate, whereas those who say, well, 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 you can't actually keep your private plan. You have to go on the, on, on the government insurance plan are cast as these wild extremists, even though it's a quite subtle difference in the um, means and, and really no difference in the policy goal. So I think what's really going on here is about perceived extremism, the tone that people make or present their ideals. Medicare for all who want it means we take a version of Medicare and we make it available for every American. I believe that this will be a better option than any of the private plans out there. I also believe Americans ought to be able to decide for themselves. But even this question of, oh, well, maybe Pete Buttigieg is doing well because he's a moderate. Well, he leapfrogged Joe Biden now, and Joe Biden is now behind Elizabeth Warren in Iowa, and Joe Biden is also a moderate. So it's not obvious just being a moderate is going to be going to be enough here. Um, it's also striking that even though they both qualify as moderates, Pete Buttigieg doesn't have very much support among the African-American community, where Joe Biden does have um, an enormous amount of support. What some people seem to want is, is someone who's able to defend those policy positions without coming off as 
divisive, someone who's able to do it in a unifying way. And I, I think that's probably why Buttigieg has, has done well. Contrast him with someone like Elizabeth Warren, who does have an extremely adversarial approach to her demeanor. There is some hint of sexism in the fact that she's picked up on that, whereas Bernie Sanders is just as adversarial and he's not picked up on that nearly as much. But I think in this context, we need to distinguish between whether someone is progressive on, in the terms of their policies, but nevertheless has a kind of bring people together unifying tone in how they defend those policies. And finally today, we all know the purported benefits of power dressing or being one half of a power couple. But what does it take to be a power city? The team at our Tokyo Bureau have been reflecting on a newly released index that aims to determine just that. London, New York, Tokyo and Paris are, in that order, the most comprehensively attractive cities in the world. So says the Global Power City Index 2019, a detailed report compiled by the Mori Memorial Foundation's Institute for Urban Strategies, a Tokyo-based think tank. The annual index has been ranking more than 40 cities since 2008, looking at 70 indicators covering everything from business to the environment. This year, four new cities were added, including Melbourne and Dublin, and new categories scrutinized, among them tourist attractions, nightlife options and public transportation use. The report is overseen by a committee of urbanism professors from around the world and chaired by Heizo Takenaka, a Japanese economist and retired politician. What emerges is a fascinating picture of the strengths and weaknesses of the world's cities. Tokyo is miles ahead when it comes to restaurants, but could improve workplace flexibility. Seoul is great for R&D, but poor on livability. New York scored highly on economic indicators, but fell short on skilled workers as talent shifts to other cities and countries. London has the potential to stall with Brexit uncertainty, while Paris is on the up after winning the 2024 Olympics. European cities such as Zurich and Stockholm lead the way on environmental issues, while Asian cities overall fared less well on green matters. At yesterday's launch press conference, Takenaka said it was up to the national government to tackle issues such as lowering corporate tax to boost the capital's economy. China too is key as the impact of its somewhat sluggish economy and ongoing trade war with the US is being felt in cities the world over. In other words, it'll take more than municipalities to shore up city strengths and address their weaknesses. A dispatch there from our bureau in Tokyo. Well, that's all for today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Thursday.